Hi, this is Big B from the Third Degree Discord. Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, North Texas SC, and U.S. national team gear. With everything from jerseys, soccer cards, and scarves, Soccer 90 has something for everyone. Shop Soccer90.com now, and as listeners of the podcast, you can receive 20% off your order when you use code THIRDDEGREE at checkout. Some exclusions may apply. And after you get done ordering soccer gear from Soccer 90, look into joining the Third Degree Patreon. If you follow FC Dallas and like this podcast, you'll love being a Third Degree Patron. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode numbered, please. Oh, 173. 173 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi. Hello again. It is me, Peter. Alongside, via the miracle of the internet, your favorite Englishman living in Texas, howdy, Dan Crook. Howdy, Peter Welpton. Uh, am I correct in seeing that Luton Town has not gotten off to the best of starts this season in the championship? No, nope, just uh, setting ourselves up for a great uh, season in League One next year. Uh, Aww. Yeah, I think it's uh, two points in four games. You think they're going to go from the nearly getting promoted to the Premiership to getting relegated to the third division all in the course of 12 months? Is that what you're, is that what you're predicting? That's why the championship's the best league in the world. Uh, no, I think uh, it's just a slow start. Hopefully they'll click and, and get going again. Because <clears throat> I was really looking forward to uh, playing you twice next season in the championship. I mm. was looking forward to the six points. I'm sure you were. <laughs> and of course, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of thirddegree.net. The amazing Buzz Carrick, come in, Buzz. Uh, Peter, I'm I'm quite sad you're not asking me about uh, how my uh, English team that I follow is is doing. Okay, how is your English team doing? I, I feel like it's pretty good. Do you not do you not feel like it's pretty good? Uh, Newcastle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's going okay. It's pretty what are, exciting. What are you on two? Are you on three? Uh, four points? I don't know. It's a whole lot more than Manchester United is all. In. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> We just spent we just spent like a kajillion dollars on a thirty year old from Real Madrid named Casemiro, who, by the way, is an absolute baller, uh, uh, and I'm excited to have him. Uh, but it, hmm. it seems like a move they should have made three years ago. But that's a different podcast. Um, okay, well, boys, boy, howdy. We talk about form all the time on this podcast, and there was it wasn't that long ago where we were lamenting a a run of bad form. But look where we are today. Look at us here. In the last six games, the team is 4-1-1. One, and one. And by the way, that one loss is that really interesting game up in Seattle. And the tie was the road game in Portland. So things are looking up for the old FC Dallasers these days. Right, Buzz? Yeah, right about the start of August, we talked about how there was, again, the schedule's been rough all year, but there was a meaty part of the schedule ahead where you were going to Seattle, you were going to Portland. San Jose wasn't going to be tough, but you were going to have Philly at home, you were going to have Nashville, that one's still to come. But it was we were going to, we talked about how you're going to really find out whether you're a legit contender or whether you're just a, a decent team in the West. 
Now we know this is a legit contender team. Now there's still a separation between them and LAFC. And in terms of points, clearly in terms of Austin, they're having a great season. I think LA is definitely better, but that's a different discussion as well. The bottom line is Dallas has clearly made it, made themselves position themselves as the next best team in the league. They've handled the teams you're supposed to handle. They've done some decent performances on the road, which is a sign of a good team. So I feel much better about this team four weeks later than I did back at the beginning of the month. You know, they, they've sort of rallied back and they're now, what is it like four one on one over the last five or something. So it's a, it's a really nice feeling to have. Yeah. You know, I, you know, we came away from the Northeast or Northwest road trip feeling pretty good about the team getting to, uh, you know, only losing to Seattle by a goal is never anything to uh, be ashamed of and getting the draw in Portland also felt pretty good. Uh, but I got to tell you, I was at the game versus San Jose, uh, and last night, I, man, I, I, that is really two performances for very different reasons to really feel like things have started to find a groove with the club. And I, and I, it, a lot of it, I believe has to do with Sebastian Legette. Yeah. That, that move has uh, solidified midfield because we've been talking a lot this season about a Brandon being a little up and down and how Seeky at the beginning was obviously a rookie and he's, he's progressing and there's things to like about in the future. He has good games and bad games. Well, you, you take a guy that's in the prime of his career from another MLS team, a French national team player, a solid MLS piece paid a fair amount of money, but they're not paying for his salary this year. And he plopped that into midfield next to Paxton and your midfield just went from a kind of like a, an okay part, but we're little, with some question marks to like a solid locked in part of your team. Like that move answered so many questions about this team and solidified so many things about this team in terms of this roster and, and where it is for this season. Uh, it's just fantastic. And, and and there's a new confidence around the team. There's a new confidence demonstrated by the standings and your results. And, and that's what matters, right, is results. This is a result-oriented sport. Like all sports, professional sports are, you got to produce. And they're producing. And it's exciting. Dan, you know, it, uh, this Legit signing, as interesting as it was, really does answer the one thing that I, you know, at least on this particular podcast, we'd been moaning about all season and into last offseason, which was it's kind of romantic and cool to think that you're going to have three homegrowns running your midfield. But what this team really needs is some vet, an injection of a veteran player that can actually do the goods and knows the league. And that's, I, I really think, the biggest thing that they're getting out of Legit. Yeah, I mean, a guy who's, who's had success in the league as well. Um, you know, someone with, albeit one FA Cup appearance, brief experience in England coming for a Premier League academy. Uh, just, you know, things that we talk often about Faku and, and Haran and, and how their veteran responsibilities are effectively bringing through, you know, in, in Haro's case, Pepe and, and Ferreira and in Faku's case kind of coaching uh, Serio but to have someone who's kind of gone through all those experiences and still in the prime of their career where they can they can really do both roles of actually contributing on the field and contributing on the training ground in the locker room I mean that's that's uh that's worth a lot more than you know 600 grand over two years yeah and and Buzz I think maybe the most genius aspect of the legit addition is the fact that he's American or at least plays on the American national team and knows and understands the system and has spent time playing with Jesus and Areola and even as he said in his postgame quotes to a degree even with Paxton Pomacall. 
Yeah, and this and this coach and and this coach, yeah, yeah, this system and and from all of his quotes and and obviously we don't know the man, but from all of his quotes, he was extremely extremely excited to be here. And, you know, he's got a goal in mind, something clearly from the outside to prove in terms of the national team. You know, he's going to be as fired up as he can be over the back end of this season. Now, if he does or doesn't make the team, that's an issue for what it might do to him going forward. But for the short term uh, and and hopefully for the next several years, this is a guy that's a per- perfect fit for this franchise in terms of its need for a little bit of veteran leadership. It was one of the, it is one of the youngest teams in the league still, but that, that, that nuance in midfield, he has a tiny bit of his game, very similar profile to Paxton, but a tiny bit of his game in terms of actual goals and assists that Paxton doesn't quite have yet. So that allows the double effect of letting Paxton be more of a box to box guy, which in my opinion, this is more pure natural position. So, I mean, everything about this move is great. Uh, we went over it extensively when it happened. And so far this, these two games since then have proven it's more than two. Yeah, that it's exactly what we thought it was going to be. I mean, really, I think I'm right in saying the only thing we're missing out of of a performance from him is a goal, right? Yeah, I think a goal. I think he's had three assists now, so it's you know it's just the goal. But that's not a player that you need goals from, particularly when you have uh, Jesus Ferrer doing what he's doing. You know, if you get one or two out of him over the course of a season, that's great. He came in with some. He'll probably get one here or there. You know, that's not the job of that position. Assists is more that job of that position, and that's. So far, he's already delivering in spades in that regard. All right. Well, since the last time we talked, there have been the two games, the 4-1 win on Saturday night against San Jose, and then last night's extremely impressive win over Philadelphia. So let's take a few minutes to talk about them each individually. The San Jose game, as I said, I was at, and I got to tell you, man, I don't know if I can remember a time where a team came up to Frisco and played (laughs) – Worse defense than I had witnessed uh, uh, by the earthquakes on Saturday night. It was like they were actively trying not to play defense. It was weird. Yeah. Uh, all I can say probably is that, that that's a team full of guys that are trying to win jobs. You know, they know that someone out there, their coach is going to be watching, and he was indeed watching their new coach. So, you know, once they give up a goal, they were desperate to try and compete, and they all got forward and, and stopped really focusing and expose themselves even more. So, you know, before the game, what we said was this is a team at the bottom of the standings, a team that's in disarray, a team that's changing coaches. You know, you need to stomp on this team, and Dallas did it. Did that. I mean, that's a game before where Dallas has come in meek and and not done that. And so to develop that ruthless streak of just destroying a team you're supposed to win against Mm -hmm. is a delightful thing to see if you want to see this team progress. Who is your uh, man of the match in that game? Uh, Jesus. I thought Jesus was just absolutely phenomenal in that game. It was one of his best performances, I thought. Dan, did you have any big takeaways from that game? Or I th- was that the game that you were out of town for? I don't remember. Uh, I just got back into town, so I kind of skimmed it more than anything. Uh, you know, saw, saw the goals, but I was kind of uh, running in and out as, as the game was going on, unfortunately. Well, it was it was interesting, and it was fun to see in person. Uh, Legette is uh, a really nice addition, um, and, and and to be able to see him play with the team now. Unfortunately, I only got to see him play with Paxton for a little bit of a little bit of that time, and I don't know if there's much more about the San Jose game in particular you guys want to talk about. It was just a a good, smart, dominating performance against the team, as you said, Buzz. They needed to beat and beat badly, and they did that. 
The finishing was there. The goal scoring was there. They really limited the chances. Abobasi's shot, uh, I mean, there was a, a bit of a disappointment in how they uh, didn't, you know, cover him, but that was a, an amazing hit. He just absolutely <laughs> murdered that ball. But other than that, they did yeah. a really good job of just shutting the earthquakes down. Yeah, the only couple of things I have was that when they first went into the sort of lower block look when they were up 3 nothing, I think it was at 3 nothing. Um, they got too passive. We've talked about that many times before, and they just didn't close down. Both Legette and Cerillo did not close down of OC enough. Uh, and that's why you got that goal. I mean, it's, granted, as you said, it's a bomb, but you can't, you got to stay active even though you're playing in a deeper set. The other two things were, uh, er, uh, sorry, sorry, Alan Velasco, because that's a guy we've talked about a lot. He did have four key passes in that game and 13 duels. So, so he had a really good game as well. I, I still stuck with Jesus, but Velasco was in that conversation. Strong game by him, offensively speaking. Not as great defensively, but again, again, it was 4-1. And the other thing was how aggressively this coach is using, uh, and in particular in this game, the five subs rule, basically 100% is squad rotation. I think like at the 60-minute mark or shortly after, he took out Jesus, Paxton, um, Legette, uh, Martinez, who was having the leg problem. It was like he was, uh, maybe it was Ariel, I can't remember, right, right, right in front of me. But anyway, it was like five or six, five of his core players he took out relatively shortly right at 60 minutes or right afterwards. And that's a very aggressive move in terms of rotation. He's managing his squad, managing workloads through that rule rather than saying, I'm going to rotate the starting lineup and mess with some cohesion early. And it allows you in this case to dominate the first half, take the game over and then relax and take guys out. So that's, that's, those are my, the, the importance of those games for me was those three, those three items. The shocking thing about that game was I did not know that somewhere along the way San Jose had decided to make Tommy Thompson a right fullback. I and did he, not either. <laughs> yeah, which by yeah. the way, because I was I was literally sitting in the front row on the east side, I was super close to him for the first half. He's not a very good right back. No. <laughs> He's the best meme that MLS has ever created. <laughs> what is that a reference to? Well, I mean, just his career. I remember he was like so overhyped as being. I mean, there was enough hype behind him to call him the next Freddie Adu almost, and then ah, I see what you just, mean. Just kind of been bang average. Well, I you know you take a kid with uh, at least the time was demonstrating some uh, high level of skill, and then you throw him back at right. It just was weird to me when I saw him. Well, first off, it was strange because down at field level, uh they were pushing both their fullbacks up so far up the field. I was having a hard time sorting out what formation they were playing. Cause it was one, cause I was, I was confused. He was Tommy Thompson, who I assumed was playing like a wide midfield position because he was so far up the field initially in the game. And it, because it's Tommy Thompson, I didn't know he was playing fullback. It just all seemed very, very weird. And it took me a, a good five or six minutes to sort out what, what I was watching on the field, because I just couldn't figure out why San Jose was pushing everybody up so far up the field um, and exposing themselves that way. But then they gave up the early goal and just got worse and they just weren't very good. Yeah. They've had a rough year. I, I don't know that it's necessarily good to judge anybody on that team by this season. I mean, K cows look horrible. You know, it's just not been good. Well, we did get the news and I think they made it official today that related to all of that is that San Jose has hired Luchi Gonzalez as their new head coach. Um, and I get that there's only 30 of these gigs available 
And I know Lucci really wants to be a head coach again, but I'm not sure that's a I, that I don't know, man. That just seems like a, a that seems like a weird fit to me. Or maybe it's the perfect fit. I don't know. Yeah, well, if if you think about as you say, it's the thirty jobs thing. It's like passing up a gig is tough. You know, he, he's had a year of of learning under another coach, probably hopefully to his benefit. San Jose does have a bit of a history of, of producing some academy quality and some young players. They don't have too high of an expectation. There is some talent there. I mean, Abobas, he's a pretty good player, if nothing else. You know, if they're willing to give him a little backing, which he didn't quite get here towards the, you know, as that roster deteriorated when he was a coach here. You know, I, I can think of worse jobs. It's not like their fan base is going to have like a super high expectation that you're going to come in and turn the thing over in like a season and all of a sudden it's going to be incredible. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it, it might be a, a pretty good move for him because, hey, if you if you fail spectacularly, club's a shit show. No one's gonna no one's gonna blame Lucci for that. If you know he could have the effect that Nico's had of coming in and guys like Paul Ariar and Sebastian Legette, like hey, someone who's really close with Berhalter, kind of rotates around the U.S. system. Maybe if I get with him, I can get a, a leg up for uh, you know for, for the national team. Just uh, and and yeah, they've got a, their academy is producing some fantastic talent you've got all the uh the i guess the homegrown territory of uh you know sacramento san francisco all the all the, all the great teams in northern california so I mean, it hey it has the potential to be a really good move for him i'm i'm most interested to find out if lucci has uh, matured in his time with the national team uh, and and correct some of the things that I think we all perceived to were, were her short his shortcomings in his time here in Dallas, right? Like he just yeah. he got thrown into the fire. He had been nothing but a uh, a coach for kids, uh, and now suddenly had to learn on the fly how to deal with veterans. And I'm always taken back to the Franco Haro incident um, yeah. a, as an example of really uh, in his problems. Um, and his over talking and his constant yelling from the sideline and over teaching and just kind of his luxury vibe. I'm, I'm really interested to see if any of that is changed or tempered when he gets there. Yeah. You know, those are all of those things are areas in which I think Greg Berhalter excels. So hopefully for Lucci's sake, and listen, I, I think at his core, and we said this when he got hired, I think there's a day that Lucci will be a great head coach. For a pro teams, he just had a lot of things he had to learn, a lot of things to work on, and he got thrust in before he was really ready. So if if he picks up from Greg some of those uh, adult man management skills, some of that uh, more of a stoic uh, form on the sideline. I mean, Greg's not totally flat, but he's certainly much more reticent than Lucci is, you know. And some of that over preachiness and that over uh, Greg is a very sort of focused and direct kind of guy. So, you know, you, you can hope that Lucci and Lucci was a big believer in self-education and also self-analysis. So you would hope that Lucci would have seen what went well and what didn't well and then taken some time under Greg to absorb some of those things that he could do better at. And hopefully he'll apply them going forward. Is he going to be ready to kill it right now with San Jose? I, I don't know. I, I actually think he probably would have benefited from, you know, moving from the national team if Greg didn't carry forward move from the national team to like a head an assistant under somebody else in MLS pulls himself a little more things but 
I certainly can't complain about the opportunity that San Jose is. And, and given how much Lucci is interested in self-education and improvement, I hope that he will have absorbed some things from Greg to balance himself out a little better. And most interestingly is that he's been able to negotiate a deal where he still gets to go to the World Cup and he doesn't actually take that gig until the start of next season. Yeah, that's not surprising. I mean, you know, when Nico came in here to Dallas, he did the same thing last winter. Remember, he went to the U.S. camp for like three weeks or something at the end of the season. So it was still working kind of half a season. This is like... I mean, I'm I'm not criticizing it. I think it's a great move on everybody's part. It makes sense. It's just interesting yeah. that he he gets to hang out and still get to go to Cutter. Uh, good it, for him. It'd be interesting to see what happens next year because his contract's up with U.S. Soccer at the end of this year. They're all of the coaching staff are. It's the end of the, the well, cycle. I, well, I'm assuming it just ends because he signed a deal with to take over a head coaching gig. I would have. What do you, well, that's what I mean. Like, you know, if, if Berhalter is out, then he's got an insurance policy. Ah, I see what you're if, saying. If Berhalter carries on, you know, does he try and negotiate the idea of being an assistant and San Jose coach? Hmm. Oh, wow, yeah. Hadn't pondered that. Has there been has there been a case of that anytime recently that I'm forgetting? It's In been England, a while. There has, but, but I don't know about here. Yeah. yeah. The youth national teams do it a lot more often. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a great result. San Jose's terrible right now, but that's exactly the kind of whooping you got to put on a team like that. And it really yeah. came at a good time for Dallas um, uh, and, and really kind of bolstered the, the the good run of form that they had been on uh, dating back to the RSL road game. So that takes us to last night, uh, Wednesday night. We're recording this on Thursday evening. Uh, I got to tell you, I was, I, I didn't know what to expect out of this game. Philadelphia clearly is one of the better teams in the league. Um, they have an impressive record of defense and goal scoring. There's lots of things to like about those guys. Um, that may be one of the overall best performances and results I've seen out of this team in quite some time, Buzz. Yeah, this is a massive, massive win. I, I wrote or said on the um, podcast last time, and I think I wrote about it in my preview too, that this for Dallas was going to be a litmus test because this is the best team in the East, one of the best teams in the league. If you think you're gonna, really a competitor, this is a game you're going to find out. Now, of course, home field advantage matters to Major League Soccer. Philly has not done a lot coming here. That does not change the fact that they have are a really, really good team. They've only had three losses in the year before this game. Now, granted, all of them were on the road, but nonetheless – they tend to play a way that Dallas does not handle well, which is a mid block, which makes it hard for you to get through the middle, shifting to a low block, hard for Dallas to break down. So this is a team that it lines up and, and, and in fact plays in a very similar style to Dallas. Dallas also does the same thing, plays in a mid to low block a lot of the time. When they get the ball, they go forward really quickly. Philadelphia actually goes forward even quicker, not, not an over-the-top counterattack, on the ground quick, through Gazdag or whatever his name is, up through their wingers. They, they are a phenomenal team. And so to get a result against them was massive. And you could tell going in that they thought that way because they rolled out 100% the best 11 that they have available. And none of those subs were about rotation. Every single one of them was a strategic move late in the game to take care of it. It was not no, man management was out the window. Minute management was out the window. It was all in on this game. You mean you mean uh, best eleven and man management on Dallas's part, Dallas's part, part, yeah, yeah. Dallas's part. Well, I mean that's pretty much Philly's best eleven too. That was not a 
rotated squad that I could see. I mean, I don't know their squad up and down like I do Dallas's, but you know, their big guns were out there and they were taking that game pretty seriously. There was a lot of chatter that they were going to come in and take care of business, you know? So that was a remarkably big win for Dallas. All right. So in your, in your post game instant reaction video, you named Edwin Cerillo as man oh, of the yeah. match. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, one of the things that I came away from the game buzz was I really wished, um, uh, Cerillo had a little bit of Phillies Martinez in him because I thought Martinez was a really good quality, uh, my kind of six in that game. And I wish Edwin had a little bit of his qualities. Yeah. For me, this was the best game Edwin's ever played. Really? Um, yeah. Now that doesn't mean he's, uh, Kyle Beckerman. It just means this is the best game he's ever played. He had the assignment of uh, march, marking Gazdag, their best player, their difference maker, their engine, the guy that scores all their big, huge, massive goals. Uh, he was his good defensive self with range. Yes, Edwin still needs to develop a little bit of nastiness. We've talked about that. But he got a little over-aggressive early and had to calm down a little bit because he was, you know, he'd gotten attention from the referee and he needed to slow down just a bit. But more specifically, the thing we've been knocking Edwin on and the thing that hasn't been getting him into games was his uh, ability to help his team build. And we, we talk a lot about how Edwin's good with progression when he's, he picks the ball up on recoveries. He turns and can dribble away from guys a little bit. Ziki has the same quality and then can pass from there. What Edwin is not good at is putting himself in good position, what we would call showing for the ball, moving into positions to help his team build out in good shape help his team relieve pressure and get out of the back. He was light years better in that quality. It was a massive, massive step forward for him. If he plays like this every game, he will retain the starting job and Falky won't get it back. This was his best performance for me as an FC Dallas player. Is there room to be better? Absolutely. He could still learn all kinds of things and be a whole lot better player. He's still not Grezzo. But in the context of this game and marking their best player out of the game and making that leap forward in terms of possession, I thought he was just phenomenal. Okay. I thought he was great, too. He had a turnover early in the game that I was worried about, but he really recovered from that. Um, I just, like I said, I, that uh, um, uh, Mart Martinez guy playing for Philly has just got a little bit of a mean streak in him. Yeah, uh, He's one of those guys that appears to get away with fouling guys multiple <laughs> times and never getting a card for it. He's got that Diego Chara quality to him, and that's that's just something I think I'd like to see Edwin pick up. Uh, Dan, I guess I want to move on to somebody else that we've spent a lot of time talking about on this podcast uh, and debating or discussing or criticizing or whatever. And that is what I think. If if Buzz thinks that's Edwin Cerillo's best game ever for this club, I would tell you I think last night was Alan Velasco's best game ever for this club. I thought you were going to say Emma Tumasi. Yeah, I, uh, I was right there with you. Velasco looked fantastic. Um I, you know, some of the credit actually needs to go to Paxton Pomacol. Pomacol was playing a dual role, dropping back to almost double pivot with uh, Cerio to uh, to deal with Gazdag at the at the point of the diamond. But then at the same time, you know, Velasco's really good at picking up the ball and coming inside, and Pomacol was there to uh, to kind of take the outside to give that that outlet if it was need if need be. Mm -hmm. uh, even when you look at the the shape. Uh, on both sides, that was kind of happening. It was happening with Tumasi and Lejet, where uh, where uh, Tumasi was coming inside and Lejet was kind of um, sticking out on on uh, 
on on the build out from the right. But uh, Velasco, yeah, um, I think he led he joint led the team in shots with uh, with Jesus. He was actually you know actually being useful with his shooting. He was he was being mindful with his positioning from shots. He was his passing was smooth. He wasn't making those really ridiculous straight line runs, just expecting players to move out the way. And, and I, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure on at least more than one occasion, I saw him take on a defender and actually beat them on the dribble. One time he cut back to the inside and had a really nice shot on goal. Uh, those are, that's the thing that I think has been missing from his game that I anticipated when they signed him for all that money. Um, and, and so that's really delighted me. Like I've been really pleased with the other aspects of his growth in the game, the defensive part, his effort, those types of things. Um, but you know, getting at defenders and being that guy that can create opportunities and be dangerous is what I thought was missing. And, and a little bit in the San Jose game, but a lot last night in the Philadelphia game buzz is what I got, what got me, uh, excited for him. Yeah. Uh, he had like, I think in San Jose, it was four key passes and this game, he didn't have any key passes, but Dallas only had 13 shots. So they were kind of low in the key passes thing, but I agree with the assessment that it was his best game for um, FC Dallas in his time here too. I mean, I, he was like my, I kind of had these three candidates for man of the match and you could even include Jesus who had a phenomenal game by any measure you want to give it. But you know, it's, it's for me, it's always about the strides forward. And for this game, Velasco was such a stride forward. He came inside and commanded attention. He was going outside. He was going out guys at 11 duels. He had like a 90% pass rate, you know, a decent XG if you're into that kind of thing, which I'm not, but you know, people like it. Uh, it was just a really quality game from him you know, when, when ever since really there was the time where his family came and visited or they came and stayed here, whatever it is, he's, his progression since then has been remarkably good and positive. And again, just a great game and all at the right moment, right? You you love when they guys have games like this, these remarkable good games when it's against a team when it really, really counts. So that's the best part. Yeah, and I think really the most impressive thing about last night uh, and Dan kind of started this when he thought I was going to mention Emma Tuomase having his best game. I, now that I think about it, Buzz and Dan, if you really kind of go player by player by player, there was a lot of best ever performances yeah. across the starting 11 last night. I thought Farfan was amazing last night. I even thought Jose Martinez was really, was good for him. Yeah, Hedges looked great. Emma looked great. Uh, Ariola uh, minus uh, a missed header opportunity, I thought was really active. I was really impressed with the overall quality of the team uh, from front to back and how everybody really stepped up and threw out uh, really impressive performances. Yeah, I will agree with the Emma really strong performance. I want to give you one grain of salt on the outside backs in terms of the strong performances. Uh, Emmett Thomas, had a really high volume of touches in this game. And that's because Philadelphia plays a narrow four, four, two. There mm-hmm. is no winger on top of the outside backs. So they clog the middle with two strikers and a number 10, and they force you to play outside to your outside backs and go up the outside rather than through the gut, which means that both outside backs are going to get a really high volume of touches and they're not going to be contested. And what Philadelphia does is when you get up to midfield and you start to run into where their outside back is because they're playing a mid block and trying to deny you to play through the middle of the field, then if your outside back has the ball, they over rotate to your side and pin you on the side. So 
in that context, high volume of touches and high volume of good passes. But I thought Ima was really good about getting up the field and finding guys and making little combinations and providing little outlets and keeping possession going and letting them get through the middle. So some of the scats are skewed because of the shape, but agree 100% that Ima had a really, really nice game. You just can't let those stats fool you a little bit into thinking he's like Brian Reynolds all of a sudden flying down the side and firing all these crosses. He's not that kind of player. You know, really strong game with a tiny caveat of the system. Well, uh, beating Philadelphia one nothing, and I thought another aspect of the game is just holding on to the lead. This team has really struggled with that over the course of the season. Philly was dropping bombs in from every <laughs> corner of the field, uh, repetitive, uh, you know, time and time again. And and I was really impressed overall with just uh, the performance. And and to your point, even the subs, like all the subs that he made, yep. um, you know, totally made sense. Um, uh, the you know, obviously the one thing that I think was a little little bit of uh, concerning was uh, all of the kind of like self-touching uh, Jesus was doing around his abdomen as he was being, yeah. he, he clearly at one point asked to come off. He kind of turned to the coaches and said, Hey, look, I'm something's going on. And he was poking on his belly as he went off the field. I hope he doesn't have a hernia is what I'm hoping for. They, uh, he said after the game that uh, doctors did a quick assessment on him and said, there's, there's nothing they needs to worry about. I mean, He's going to have a couple of days Ooh. off uh, with with missing the next game. So, uh, you know, hopefully it should just be a, a normal week. All right. Well, I'll take you. I'll take your word at that because he's going to. Yeah, because he did get the weird yellow card and that uh, ruckus late in the game, which puts him in suspension. Right, Buzz? Yeah, that's well, assuming that both the team notes and the league website are correct. Yes, that means he'll sit out of the game. I will add, though, that. In the terms of the growing up of this team and some of the time delaying shenanigans that they were they were pretty good about how they went about it in this game, I was reminded and I told my wife a story that when when players go down on the ground and they're and some of it is real, some of it's an attempt to delay the game. We all know that they often have um, sort of worked out ways with trainers, so the trainer will know whether they're actually hurt or whether they're just going around it. And the, the, the one example I know for sure, because he told me after he retired was Dario Sala had <laughs> this indicator when he would be on the ground, the trainers would come out. He told him if I'm banging my hand on the ground, like I'm hurting, that means I'm fine. So that was like his signifier that I'm actually fine. Don't worry about me. And so I'm telling you, like they have little clues. Like oh, I'm that. sure they, they do. Little, yeah, yeah. They all do it. And that's the one I, the player told me what it was. So, you know, I, the shenanigans, there was a little bit of the gamesmanship, a little bit of guys staying down, a little bit of like, you know, pause getting banged, always oh, down for like five minutes. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but you know, this is part of modern soccer. This is part of killing off games that are really intense, modern games that matter like this was, this statement wins like this. So it's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of progression of the team. And I thought it was all really well done. So funny thing last night, uh, we were talking, you know, statement win and uh, how good Philly are. Yeah, everyone's talking to to Paxton in the locker room, and he's he stops and goes. Let me tell you, Philadelphia is a fucking phenomenal team. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Emma Timasi and Kosi Tafari just start laughing, just going, <clears throat> "Fucking phenomenal! <clears throat> fucking phenomenal!" Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah, I I thought Paxton was another one that just had a world class oh, game. Yeah, I phenomenal. Was, 
Yeah. Uh, I, I, how oh, are, he was getting how, targeted so badly as well. Oh, he, yeah, uh, you know, it was. Yeah, this is the this is the Paxton engine, the box to box guy, the relentlessness of that guy. This is the perfect game. This is why I've been talking about for years that this is his natural position to play this deeper box to box role, and he was just absolutely phenomenal. He almost by himself ate up like a whole third middle of the field. It was incredible. <laughs> I'm really excited to see that pairing in another team, not against a, a diamond. Uh, yeah, a, a diamond midfield, so that he's not got that kind of shifting role and can play like the true box to box without having to necessarily, you know, temp six alongside Sarrio. Yeah, I mean, Philadelphia has an extra man in there, so it was four to three all the time. You know, it'll be interesting to see how it looks when it's uh, a, f- a regular three to three matchup. If Paxton will have a little more freedom to break forward, like Legette was in last night. Well, again, it does all seem to hinge and go back to the addition of Legette to the team, uh, which uh, just is all something we need to give full credit for. That's an amazing signing. I'm still not 100% sure how uh, h- how they managed to pull that off, uh, and I'm sure there's some of those MLS shenanigans in the background that help make that happen, but whatever, it's worked out in Dallas's favor, uh, and uh, knock on wood, it will continue to as we uh, end up finishing up. I, it is hard to it is hard to believe that there now remains only uh how many games are there left is it eight is there one two three four five six seven games seven seven yeah seven is can is the is the kansas city the last game the third fourth game Yeah. yeah so there's only seven games left in this season which blows me away um and it's not the most brutal of schedules i mean we here's the thing guys how many times over the course of the season have we all looked forward into the calendar and went, oh my God, this is brutal. Many, yeah. And it's kind of nice to be on the opposite side as well of not every season. It's, ah, uh, you know, there's this game in hand. Dallas has played the most games of anyone in the league. Yes, they have. And, you know, and so the remaining schedule, just for anybody that's not looking at it while we talk about this, they've got at Nashville this weekend, home game against Salt Lake, at Minnesota, LAFC comes to town, then they go to San Jose, they go to Colorado, and end the season against Kansas City. And I got to tell you, in comparison to some of the runs of games they've had over the last two, two and a half, three months, that looks pretty easy peasy compared to what they've done. <laughs> um, now, not not to jinx it or anything, but that you know that bodes well for being in one of those all important guaranteed home yeah. game uh, playoff. As schedules go, yeah, Nashville is not having a great year. They're middle of the pack this year, right? Uh, Salt Lake here is good. Home's good, right? At Minnesota, eh, that's not so easy. LFC, that's a really, really good team. Again, it's here, though. That helps you. And then you you cannot ask for better finish than San Jose, Colorado, Kansas City, based on where those teams are in the standings right now. That's as good a run-in as you're going to get. Yep. And no midweek messing around. You know, those results can – can obviously be crazy. Uh, I'm sure some people in Philadelphia will put put last night down to oh, it's a midweek travel. You know, you always lose to a crap team for those. Yeah, Minnesota is interesting. They they're five three and four at home, so that's an opportunity. Uh, and as you mentioned, Buzz Salt Lake has been good at home, but not great on the road. They're three six and four on the road. Uh, yeah, so, so that bodes well. And Dallas is now six points uh, behind Austin. 
and way many points behind LAFC, but they also have played two more games in Austin. Just as a comparison, just because I haven't looked at this yet while I'm looking this up, I just want to say, because we always love to measure it. So Austin has a similar kind of deal. So Austin has at Minnesota, LAFC, Portland, at Nashville, at Seattle, uh, Salt Lake at home, Nashville at home, at Vancouver, and they close the season out against Colorado uh, and down in Austin. That's yeah, a little so more difficult. Same. Yeah. I mean, if they stumble, you have six points is doable. If they stumble a little bit, you know, some of those Pacific Northwest trips don't catch them up. You know, that, those are some teams, Seattle, Nashville, Portland, that are trying to make the playoffs that have a legit shot. They're only a couple points out. Yeah. You know, once you get down to your Houston, San Jose's, and, and Kansas City's, they're way out. So, you know, it, it's those teams that are between. You know, L.A. On, th- on 33 points, L.A., Vancouver, Nashville, Portland, Seattle, 32 points, Colorado, 31. It's like that's the bandwidth right there that can cause you trouble when those teams get fighting and clawing, particularly if you go on the road. So if, if Austin makes any kind of slip-ups, I think Dallas' schedule is about as positive as you can be, you know, given that you got a Nashville and an LAFC on that schedule. You know, the RSL coming here, L.A. coming here, that's a big help. Man, holy crap. I just looked at Houston. <laughs> Wow, I didn't realize Houston had gotten so bad. They haven't they've won one game in their last nine and they're on a four game losing streak. Yeah. I didn't realize that had turned into the trash fire that it is. That's yeah, uh, the uh the Hector Herrera move has not worked out. Has it it's not? Pro- well, well, you know, it's it's the the problem is how you use him amongst the people that you have there. You know, they he's they're trying to use him as an eight mostly, but um you know, then he has to do too much like into the box. If you don't have like, they have Coco Carrasquillo, who's also an eight, and they have Darwin Quintero, who's like 5,000 years old. So it's like you're trying to mix some bodies in there, and, and maybe he's better with Darwin in front of him, but then Darwin's really old, and can he go 90? And so they just got, uh, their roster's not very, very good. Oh, uh, well, uh, sucks for them. <clears throat> uh, sucks to be Houston, yeah. It sucks to be Houston. <laughs> and Houston sucks. Okay, yes, I think we all agree, yes. All right, so, I, you know, one of the other things that's been going on now over the course of the season and, and is that, uh, you know, in the offseason, the Hunts made a bit of a surprising move. In my mind, I was surprised by it. That not only did they, not that they signed Jesus to a deal, uh, but they signed him to a record deal as a homegrown, and they are paying him big boy dollars. And the real question starting this season was, and I think it was a fair question, can Jesus produce at big boy dollar level? And I think at this point we can all agree he has done that and probably done it in spades. Unquestionably. Uh, and yeah. he is playing with a real next-level swagger that I enjoy <laughs> immensely but i do it does worry me that at this time last year what was the one thing that we talked about endlessly we talked about when is ricardo pepe going to leave this team because everybody's looking at our young star striker (laughs) who's 18 or 19 years old scoring all these goals and kicking ass for the national team and i would make the hard argument that Jesus, while maybe a few years older, is playing at a way better level right now for Dallas than Jesus was last year, and he got sold for twenty million bucks. Yeah, the the age thing is the big dip difference, probably. You know, Jesus is signed through twenty twenty five with an option for twenty twenty six, with a you know just under two million a year. 
So, you know, you, you got three, four, five, you got three or four years left at two million a year. So, you know, that's that's 10 mil easy. Like that's a comfort level, right? So Jesus doesn't take a deal like that unless he's content to see it out. You know, you don't you don't sign that kind of number without having a willingness to do it. He's talked a whole lot about his desire to do something his dad never did, win a championship here. Now, is there a price? Of course there is. There's a price for him, what he would get paid. There's a price for the hunts in terms of what they would get. Well, he, would he would he pull a $20 million offer? Because I, I think that's what it would take. It'd be another $20 million offer. I don't, I don't know. The slight age difference, there's a little bit of a height difference. There's a different style of kind of play. If you want a false knight or you want a guy that can combine as an off striker, yeah, absolutely. That's not as in demand as a pure high nine is and does not quite command quite the dollar that that a pure high nine does in terms of pure terms. I agree with you that he's playing better right now than Pepe was last year. Pepe had that big hot like month and a half and then cooled off. So is he more or less likely to get an offer? I don't, I don't, I think he's actually less likely to get an offer because of the age, because of the position he plays and the style of player he is. He's slightly less likely to get that big offer. And I think that in the end, it'll come down to Jesus. Is he content with that number he's getting here? How much does somebody come in for? So I think he got him for, you know, like the national team is a big deal for him, right? So like playing for Nico and solidifying himself as the guy for the national team. He probably watched Pepe go over there and not score and no longer be in the national team. I don't know, man. I don't I don't know that this kid's leaving anytime soon. All right, fair enough. Hold on one second. I want to ask and and let's set the World Cup aside. Uh Dan, is there any um is it worth having a uh, is it worth pointing out that it's possible that the Ricardo Pepe story and how that played out after 20 million dollars was spent on him may in some way work negatively against Jesus? I mean, it's entirely possible. You think that, you know, the U.S. was always seen as that gold mine of really cheap talent, and suddenly it's, oh, someone paid real money for that guy, and he's not had a, you know, the impact you expect from that amount. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's completely possible. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. Let's just, uh, let's just look forward to him getting at least three goals in the next seven games and breaking the FC Dallas uh, goal scoring record. Oh, love to see that. That'd be fun. Yeah, that would that would be great. And then yeah. once you throw in, I mean, all bets are off if he goes to Cutter and, you know, has a tournament. Oh. Yeah, he bangs in a couple of goals in the World Cup. It's yeah, that's a totally different. No one uses the World Cup to make an evaluation of a player, scout a player. They will have known whether they like a player or not before he gets to the World Cup. But if you go to the World Cup and bang in a few goals, it absolutely raises your profile and your awareness and people's willingness to pay a little more money for you. I mean, that's you're dead right, Peter. If, if he does that, that'll change the landscape completely. So, all right. Well, by the way, that finish last night uh, in, uh, faced up against one of the better center backs in this league uh, was one of the nicest moves and finishes I've seen him do uh, so far in his pro time. I've seen him finish a lot of really nice balls back when he was with the academy. Um but that's this is a whole other level, and I thought that particular play, that particular goal last night, was a very nice artisan finish. I was uh, I was kind of impressed. You know, he was talking to media after the game, and uh, just something you pick up from from his ability to read the game. 
Um, just before that chance, he'd gone to uh, to Ariola and said, "Hey, look, look at the centre backs. Every time you have the ball out wide, they drop to the six. They kind of come and they lean towards the ball. Hit me on the edge of the box. I'll take care of the rest." And that's exactly what happened. What thirty seconds after that conversation happened? Really? Wow, that's great. That's. Uh... It's a good story. Uh, it worked out great. Dallas won Philadelphia zero, and Dallas solidifies their hold on the third spot in the West. Next up is Nashville. Now, they have to do that without Jesus. We mentioned he's under yellow card suspension. Uh, Buzz, what do you think uh, Nico does in terms of rotation and filling oh. in the gaps? Yeah, well, like I've said, he likes to rotate by subbing as much as even more than he does as a starter. You know, he'll be wanting to get some cohesiveness out of Legette and Paxton together. So I think you'll he'll you'll want to start those guys. I think Edwin's gonna hold on to that job. His back line is pretty set at this point, and so is the goalie. You know, the real question is who he replaces Jesus with. I think he would like to try Benny, but I don't think it's possible. I think he'll go with um Frank O'Hara to start the game which changes the way you have to play because he's so static. He's going to play, you know, uh, most of the time when they're on the road, Dallas plays this mid block and then tries to get forward aggressively out of it. Well, Frank O'Hara can't really get aggressively forward out of it. Mm -hmm. So you'll be seeing Velasco and Areola get forward more aggressively. So it'll, it'll look more like a flat front line when that happens. We've seen it later in games from time to time that way. So, you know, I think that's a pretty easy swap Hara in for Jesus other than the way it adapts your game. It, it means that Legette and Paxson will need to get forward. So, so later in the game, again, he'll try and bring in earlier as he can some of these elements that can be useful in that scenario. Siki, whose ability to get forward out of midfield. You can look at Obreon, his ability to play on the break out of a sort of a mid block. You know, you can sort of see where these things will lean. You know, Nanu even coming in, and well, he gets forward from the back a little bit, is a guy that you could probably look for coming in. So the, the first 11, I think he'll start just like he did the last game, with the exception of Jesus for Frank O'Hara. And then he'll try and get hard to play as much of the 90 minutes as he can, maybe bring in Benny if he has to for him. But he'll again want to use these subs to rotate out Paxton, Legette, Ariola, probably not Velasco. He tends to let Velasco go because he's 19 years old. You know, the guy Martinez will probably try and rotate him out again, or Hedges be either one. You know, it'll, it'll be about trying to take advantage of a team that's not playing great in Nashville, try and get them, try and do the kill the game thing they do where they stifle the game for like 60 minutes and then go for it and get a goal and then rotate everybody out. That's what I would expect. So only the one change actually in the lineup if I had to predict it. Well, it is a sun. The game is not Saturday. It's Sunday night at seven thirty local time, and it will be on TXA twenty one and ESPN Plus. Blah blah blah. Um, uh, that is, and then they play, and then they've got uh, six days off before Salt Lake comes into town the following Saturday. Yeah, plenty of time to rest. Nashville played Sunday, um, so they, you know, they'll, they'll have a full week off. You know. It, it's it's a, it's a time of year where you're going to have to plow through it a little bit. The the heat's cool, starting to cool off a tiny bit, so that's less of a concern. So you know it's it's a game that's that's winnable. Uh, Nashville's not as good as they were. They're not as great at home as they were. They're only three, four, and five at home. You know this is a place you can get a result. 
You know, so I think they'll probably try and stifle the game and try and steal a goal and see if they can get this one. It'd be kind of interesting to see if they uh, kind of carry on as, as they were in the home game against Nashville. Remember where Frank O'Hara was kind of sitting a little bit higher up trying to pull Walker Zimmerman out? They had the sure. fullbacks yeah. pushing really high to try and get the wingers inside. You think there's any chance uh, Alan Velasco goes on a 70-yard solo dribble and uh, Uber goal to kill off the game? There's always a chance. That's why the kid's fun. <laughs> I still can't believe he beat five players in a complete straight line. <laughs> I did. How bad your defense got to be for that? Yeah. Well, that was. Uh, let's let's uh, look at it from the positive of how awesome Allen was, and not as much about how bad Nashville's defending was in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> he can do it again. You never know. Look, that kid's the important thing with that kid is the progression. You know, we've talked about it a bunch. You know, he continues to get better and better and better. So it's it's exciting. Yeah. Hey, uh, speaking of progression, completely unrelated to all of this, so I guess it is somewhat related. Was when I was at the game Saturday night, I was uh, I was interested. I continue to be interested in the iterations of the sign on the stage. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's so it's so weird to me. It's like. It's like they bought a Lego kit or something, and every, after every game, somebody goes over there and adds a new feature to it. Uh, they keep upgrading it, and so now they've uh, they've introduced a significantly bigger, more powerful flame show on top of it instead of yeah. front of it. And they've added lights around the edge of the Longhorn in the badge. <laughs> It looks better every time I see it. I thought it looked good. Yeah. But okay, but that's this I'm 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 really interested in knowing what like who built this thing for them and did they build it knowing they could add these things later on or was it oh this isn't flashy enough so we need to add things so somebody comes in and starts modifying it and adding lighting kit I like that's what I'm dying to know how the, the I want to hear the story the backstory of this sign and it's and it's maturation over the course of the so season be an off-season podcast special sit down with Jerome and say like, yeah hey, you said you said all along this thing was going to change over time but how, what did you envision originally? So why did it have to change? Is it because they had to get it so here so quickly that they could only get it in one state and they were waiting for parts from China? <laughs> That's what I got to know. I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, they bought the base model, and then they go, man, it'd be really cool if this had an extra light. Oh, that's a grand. We can do that. Oh, great. And next year, it'd be really cool if this had flames on the top. Oh, yeah, we can do that. That's five grand. And so they just like they keep out throwing out these options for them. Like, it's just a little bit more, a little bit nickel and diamond them. All right, what do we got to do to get lasers? That's all I want to know. Yeah. I want lasers shooting out of that mother here pretty Fan soon. Lasers, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Just like you, you buy a ticket and you get free LASIK? Yes. Hey, and also, the other thing, Buzz, I wasn't at the game last night, and they didn't do it at the end of the game against San Jose. Did I hear them playing Disco Inferno after the game last night? No. Oh, I wish they would. No, they, they did the, the one they always do. Okay, then maybe the TV production played Disco Inferno because I, I was clearly hearing Disco Inferno at the conclusion of the game on the television broadcast. There was, there was a few games earlier in the season where they did it, but uh, they they cycled back to the playlist that is the... I can't remember what the name of the song is. It's a Spanish song. And then... Oh crap, I can't even remember the name of the one that follows it. Ignore me. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, so, I mean, I was joking with John Arnold about like the playlist never changes. 
Yeah, I really wish we had Disco Inferno as the goal celebration. It's the perfect, you know, franchise connected song. Great goal celebration song. Win song. Whatever you want to use it for. More Disco Inferno is always good. I I totally agree with you. All right. Uh, anything else we need to cover on tonight's episode? Uh, I don't think so. You know, North Texas has got four games left, one home game. There's a couple of guys there that I think will help Dallas next year, but probably not this year. Um, I assume they're going to get into the playoffs. You know, right now they're in. They'll probably keep going. Uh, hold on. Before, before I, 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 this is one other thing I want to talk about last night's game. I'm interested, and I'll start with you, Dan. I'm, I'm sorry. I meant to do this earlier. I totally forgot. Dan, what? Uh, how do I word this question? How? What was your reaction to how the game was refereed last night? I micromanaged heavily. Hmm. Interesting. Buzz? I thought he was very aggressive with his body language. Um, you know, you can game control with uh, a look, with a gesture, with a like, hey, that's it. He often ran over to guys and like got right in their faces. I find that really weird. That's very confrontational. And it almost like daring guys to do something or, or being like, I mean, it was I don't I don't like that at all. You should be defusing moments, not escalating moments. You know, there was I, a moment I, where he ran 25 yards just to put his hand up in that calm down gesture. It's like, calm down when you've just ran to me. Yeah. Yeah, you can do the calm down gesture from where you were. You don't have to go over there. Now you you go you go over there if guys are facing off to defuse. But if it's just a guy complaining to you, you don't run over there and get in his face. You you stay away and give him the calm down to defuse, right? You running in there escalates unless you're going to break something up. I just I don't, I don't like to complain about referees too much and I thought it was relatively level. I just really didn't like his demeanor and the way he carried himself in that game. He did not go out of his way to help keep the game in check. He added to the tension of the game rather than diffusing the tension of the game. And I didn't. I don't like that at all. Okay. No. And 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 I think both. I'm assuming Dan, you were at the game, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you guys got to see it from a perspective that I didn't on television. So uh, that that kind of aspect I didn't pick up on. I was more questioning about how he called the game from a foul perspective. He really let a lot go, uh, yeah. which, uh, you know, has its pluses and minuses. You know, Steve in particular was really getting into the concept of, hey, look, because he has failed to diffuse some of this tension that is clearly building, yeah. uh, this is going to turn into something. And, and of course, it did end up turning into something that ended up getting uh, Jesus a yellow card very late in the game. But there's also aspects of that that I appreciate when a referee just lets the you know lets things go to a certain degree. And I just wondered yeah. if you guys, being at the game, thought he didn't call it tight enough. I'm okay with letting people play, but you got to help diffuse it when you do. You can't help. You can't make it escalate, which is what he did. And I also have a problem with the non PK call on the handball. I, when oh, it happened God, in the so stadium, I my assumption is natural position. But if you watch the replay, he moves his arm to get it in front of the ball. He moves yes. his whole body. Yeah. yeah. His his arm is in a natural position. That doesn't mean you get to move your arm to block the ball and have it be in a natural position. Those are different things. The natural I, position is a deflection, not a, I moved my arm into a position to block it. That's a you, PK. Well, if you look at it in relation to Hedges' not handball hedges. from the other day, uh, if, you, if yeah. one is, the other one has to be as well. 
Uh, and in fact, I would make the argument that Hedges is more a natural body position uh, as a result of a shot coming from very close versus what happened in the Philadelphia instance. I, I think it just highlights that there, it, this is the kind of scenario that VAR really needs some work in, which is the ball continues to be in play and the viewing audience and the commentators and everybody in the stadium is all left wondering what in the world is going on because it literally took the TV broadcast because the ball continued to be in play for quite a bit of time uh, after the yeah. incident. It took it took the TV broadcast what felt like a good three, four, five minutes before they ever got back to show the replay. And by the time, you know, so much game time had, had passed when they showed the replay, it just it, it just exacerbated the frustration with the fact that VAR didn't stop the game and go, wait a second, you need to go look yeah. at this again. Uh, that was a, that's a big shortcoming. The thing people don't know about VAR is that VAR does not want to undermine the referees. So, like, if something is borderline by anybody's judgment, they won't suggest a review. And, like, if there's nothing called, they'll, their tendency is to not go to it, not have you come look, unless they are absolutely 100% convinced you're wrong. But if it's at least like, I mean, listen, I agree with you that it's 100% that it's wrong. But a neutral VAR may not think that way. They're thinking well, like, you know... No, no, I no, I I agree with you. I'm not I'm not debating you, Buzz. What I'm pointing yeah. out is is that that's the problem. That's the the continued addition of human subjectivity in this. Because if you go back to the Hedges situation, that's a deal where it was not called on the field. If I remember correctly, I'm right in this, right? That the referee was told to go review it and look at it, and then he made the decision. Yep, yeah, it is. So that's where I think the the, the clear complaint. Uh, is to be had in this is that if you look at those two situations, if the if the VAR, if a very different, if one VAR official saw the Hedges situation and said, you know what, he needs to go back and look at that, and then last night a different VAR saw that situation and didn't go tell him to look at it, I think that's the big complaint yeah. everybody should have about the system. Fair complaint, yeah. Fair complaint. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, they moved the uh, they moved everything to Atlanta to you know have this whole central VAR center to make things more consistent. And it's now less consistent. And this is going to, you know, I'm sure this morning or whenever they get around to reviewing it, FC Dallas is going to get their second formal apology from pro yeah, referees at the, the season. The missing but component for me in the VAR system the is there needs to be some sort of visual and audible indicator to the fans in the stadium, to the, to the announcers, and to the people watching on television that something is being reviewed. If the Even if the ball is still remaining in play, there needs to be something that at least uh, comforts the viewer that it is at least being looked at. Yeah, and people don't understand the check system. But right. Like but you, if you watch rugby, it's a very a, a rugby union specifically. It's it's very black and white. Like you watch if you watch a game on TV, the commentators will be like, "Oh, that's going to the test match official, hundred percent." And it is. And then yeah. it pops up on the screen. And I'm hoping that, you know, they're talking about the semi-automatic offside in the World Cup and how that's going to be displayed on screens. And even the Premier League seems to be a little better about that now that, you know, that that, that will be a thing in MLS coming forward. 
Well, it always just harkens back, Buzz, to the thing that I have been begging and pleading and suggesting and recommending since the original days of VAR, which is just simply broadcast the audio between the VAR official <laughs> and the center official or the fourth official, whoever it is they're talking to. If they would just if they would yeah. just post that in real time, hell, charge a subscription fee for it as like a <laughs> bonus thing that you have access to. Uh, I, I just think that would be a win-win for everybody across the board. Well, that, I mean, that's how cricket works. That's how rugby works. That's you know, uh, it's no good. It's I mean, it's cool seeing like the video they put out six days after the fact. But by that time, you're already gearing up for the next game, and it's easy to forget. Mm-hmm. It's just as simple as doing. I think it's at the EPL that has the big signage that says "Play under review" and then "Review over" like on this on the stadiums. That would be a great addition for Major yeah, League Soccer. I com- I completely agree with simple you. Enough. Just hell, it just stick a yellow siren light behind each goal or along the where the fourth official sits or something, or make him raise a purple flag or something. I don't know. Just well. I'm involved enough in the MLS. I can tell you that they've just now worked out how to have. Uh, that signifier on the feed that they send back to the stadium for broadcast. You know, when they go to that double box thing where mm-hmm. they show the ref looking, it now says on there, you know, under review, confirm, it has some language like that. So they've just gotten that part done where it's coming back to the stadium. So maybe the next step is that there's some kind of interactivity of it to the Jumbotron perhaps. <laughs> you know, I don't know that that helps you with the the ball's still in play or not, but you know, it's baby steps with this league. Sometimes, you know, they just created the center. They just now getting this interactivity with the broadcast, you know, it's, it's just going to take, you know, they've just done this new Apple TV deal. They're a bit distracted <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. trying to figure that crap Boy, out. Are, well, yeah. Boy, are they? He's probably going to be like, Hey guys, like we need to, we need to do some, some spoon feed in here. Sort it out. Yep. Well, it didn't come back to haunt them. They ended up winning the game one nothing in a huge game, statement win, probably the best win of the season. Frankly, one of the best wins this team has had in a really, really long time. Oh, yeah. And yep. sets up a nice final run uh, for the season and helps everybody feel a lot better about where everything's at. Yeah? Oh, unquestionably, yeah. Phenomenal. Even, even you, Dan, right? What are you trying to say? Nothing, man. Just I want to make sure you're all in a good. You got a good vibe going on about the club. Yeah, yeah, it's so fun. You're always pissing on it. <laughs> that's, that's not him. Do. That's you. <laughs> oh, that's me. Yeah. Ah, uh, no, I am. It literally says. It literally <laughs> says at the top of the site, third degree, the independent FC Dallas pissing site. <laughs> and if it doesn't, I'm going to change it to say that. <laughs> Hey, and by the way, uh, just so everybody knows, uh, we have made a change on the website. So the article that I posted, how many years ago? Was it 2020, two, Buzz? Yeah, two years ago, yeah. Yeah, so it is the, it, it, the, the title of it is now changed. I've never come up with a good name of it. It's called The Curious History of FC Dallas Burn, and it's over on the right-hand kind of menu structure, and it is the running cataloging and chronological history of all the crazy stories that have happened to this club. Some, most of which are self-induced year by year by year, dating back to the origin, the origins of the club. And we've got to add them for this year that 
2021 stuff was added a while ago, but we need to figure out what, if there is, if, I should say if, anything needs to be added for 2022. I know I'm forgetting something. Uh, we've talked about something clearly obvious that needs to go in there for this year, but I don't remember what it is. Yeah, Do either one of you? <laughs> I, I can't remember what it is either. I'm sure I've got it on a post-it note or in my notebook <laughs> yeah. somewhere. I've just got to go back and find it. Maybe it was the sign. <laughs> well, the sign certainly could fit. The original, it. yeah, the yeah. initial, yeah, not this very highly, far, far more high tech and violent sign. It's not the yeah. original. Uh, it originally yeah. had a, uh, it had a um, uh, Stonehenge from uh, the, uh, what's this? Oh my gosh, the stupid band Stone. movie. Um, Spinal Tap? Spinal Tap. When they have the Stonehenge come down and it's only 12 inches high. Yeah. It had that kind of vibe in the, when they first put it in there. <laughs> it wasn't big enough to fill the whole stage. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I'm sure uh, we'll put something about the street jugglers or street magicians or whatever it is. That they, maybe it was they the street magicians. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. So if you've never read that article, uh, go find it over at thirddegree.net. It's over on the right-hand side. Um, it is... I think if you if you're not familiar with the club or the histrionics about the club and and kind of our background with it, I think it's a good primer for anybody introducing themselves to this team's uh, history dating back to 1996. It's a little it's pretty funny actually in, in many ways. Read back through it when you uh, when you brought it up the other day and uh, it was it was an amazing 20 minutes just reminiscing over things I remember and things before my time that I just cringed at while laughing. I I love the fact that it, it, it you, you don't even get past the first season without learning the fact that the uh, team trainer almost lost an eye in a... <laughs> Yeah, for in a in a in a shooting uh, training exercise because a, a wild shot hit him in the face and almost knocked his eyeball out. You know what's funny is I, I was out of practice the other day and and uh, I was talking to two people that work for the team who shall remain nameless, and I told I made that story and they were like, "What?" I was like, "Oh, you don't know that story?" So I told that story. They were like, "You got to be kidding!" I was like, "No, that's you know they had no idea." Yeah. All, most people that work for the team have not heard any of these stories over the last uh, 27 years this team's existed. Mm. Well, they need to check out Third Degree more often, as I does know. everybody. Yep. This is Big B again, reminding you that Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, North Texas SC, and U.S. national team gear. With everything from jerseys, soccer cards, and scarves, Soccer 90 has something for everyone. Shop Soccer90.com now, and as listeners of the podcast, you can receive 20% off your order when you use code THIRDDEGREE at checkout. Some exclusions may apply. Okay, boys. Well, well done. Job well done. Good going, FC Dallas. Go team go. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for tonight. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for your time. Thank you. I'm looking forward to hearing the awesome new Pappy Check song uh, in a second. With the foul language in it, too. Oh, that's um, the best part. I love I like that. The uns- it only has one. Yeah. I like the uncensored Pappy Check. I like it yeah. when he gets all potty mouth. And thank you, uh, Buzz Carrick, for all your good hard work, sir. Oh, thank you. And if you, if you guys like this podcast, uh, support us at patreon.com slash 30 Good sales work. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We'll speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Winning again is amazing. Ooh. Woo! Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, Third Degree Net Podcast. 
25, 25 long hard years, yeah. Was carried, yeah, the man, man. 25 years, you better be giving this man at least $5 a month, Patreon third degree. Come on, pay the man. It's the only comprehensive coverage of my fucking club that I love so much, hey. Come on, it's third degree or bust, yes. Give the man some motherfucking money, hey. Third degree, third degree, never.